So as Greg said, I am the assistant pastor of this church. I'm also the only pastor at this church. (laughs) So I guess you could say I've done the best job I've ever done of assisting a pastor this week. Uh, The best, the very best week of work I've ever done. Because who who better knows what I need than myself when you think about it. So I have been seeking the Lord for what the Lord would want us to hear from him during this interim time as we are seeking his face and praying. And what has come to mind again and again is the book of James. The book of James. So we're going to be looking at the book of James. It's one of my very favorite books. I call it affectionately the gospel of James. I think other people have called it that as well. James, I'm convinced, was the half-brother of Jesus, uh, the full brother of the writer of Jude. James was a guy who knew Jesus, had personal conversations with Jesus about the things that Jesus was interested in, and then basically took them into himself and figured out a way to present those things in his own voice. James is like the letter of Romans, which is written by Paul. It's like, it's like that in its format, but it's the teachings of Christ. It really is the teachings of Christ through and through. And you can see a parallel with almost every passage in James with another passage from one of the Gospels, from a teaching of Christ. So I love this book. This is some amazing stuff. I can't wait to see what God has uh, to teach us through it. So my daughter has a uh, series of books, which are called How to Understand and Deal with Fill-in-the-Blank. And there's a whole series of books. These were clearly written by parents. One example of the book could be How to Understand and Deal with Tattletailing, Being a Tattletale. So this is a great book when your kid chooses that book before bed, and you're like, oh, good, you want to read about how to not be a tattletale. That's going to be great. This one is called A Children's Book About Whining, How to Deal with and understand whining. And it's a great book about uh, how not to whine. So whenever my kids, Olivia and Elias, who are four and two respectively, ask to read these books before bed, I'm very happy as a father because I get to uh, say, hey, this is what you should be doing. (laughs) Hey, remember when you did this all day? Well, um, it's pretty nice. Today's passage I am calling How to Understand and Deal with Pirates. James 1, 1 to 8. How to understand and deal with pirates. Are you intrigued? People think, the Bible doesn't speak about my situation. The Bible teaches, talks about pirates. Um, This is going to be great. Pirates are the worst, right? We can all agree, pirates are the worst. They come out of nowhere, they take your stuff, they hold you hostage, and worse. You know, pirates have captured the imagination of children and of the world even more than, I think, ever before. They've kind of risen to the prominent place of cowboys in our subconscious. It's kind of this archetypal uh, image that we have of pirates. We all have a conception of pirates. There's the Pirates of the Caribbean with Johnny Depp. I think they're making a new one right now. I don't know what that's going to be like. Um, There was that movie Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks, which Jackie and I saw on our anniversary trip. Uh, and I even read a fictional book about being a pirate uh, called Pirate Latitudes by Stephen King that was published posthumously for the book club that I'm in, and we read that last year. So pirates are just everywhere. And uh, to give you an idea of just how pervasive this idea of pirate is, my four-year-old, Olivia, knows exactly everything about pirates. I don't even know how. The worst thing the very worst thing that ever happened uh, was when we were walking through an airport three months ago on our way back from our 
trip to New Orleans, and our flight had been canceled. And we're walking through the airport, and Jackie is trying to figure out a ticket at the counter. I have Olivia, for some reason, on my own, and I think Elias. So she's walking next to me. He's in the stroller. He's screaming. We walk by a guy with an eye patch. (laughs) And I started to panic. (laughs) I saw the gears turning in her little head, and I started walking very quickly. And I was very thankful that she said nothing. But three minutes later, after silence, which is unusual for my daughter, she said, Daddy, why are there pirates in the airport? (laughs) Why are there pirates in the airport? So uh, it's hard when you have a disability and kids see it for the first time. You have to be that guy to, you know, break them into how things work. But this, this poor guy luckily didn't have to hear that. It was somewhat mortifying, as most things with children tend to be. Pirates basically represent something that we all can identify with on a deep level, on a very deep level. Pirates represent sudden things that can happen at any time and can take us by surprise. They can take us by surprise. They can knock the wind out of our sails. It's it's the idea that we have ourselves, our family members, our friends, our money, our food, and our possessions in a cargo ship. Everything is going great. And we're sailing towards retirement. And then cancer. That's a pirate. That's what a pirate is like. We all understand this. It was very devastating uh, last year. Uh, my Aunt Jody, my dad's sister, you know, 60-something years old, she retired from her job, finally, at long last. Big plans to travel with her, fam- her family. Uh, and she, uh, a week after she retired, she went to her primary care physician and complaining of some back pain. And when they did a scan, she was full of cancer, cancer on every part of her body, and she died a short time after that. I mean, that was definitely a pirate. She got shanghaied, you know, by, by, this, by this pirate. So we all have this understanding that pirates, they're like this thing that just pops up out of nowhere, takes us by surprise. And, and, and we all know what that's like, to, to have something blindside us. So as I've said before, today's passage is called How to Understand and Deal with Pirates. But this message is not one of doom and gloom, as the name might suggest. Today's message contains clear instructions from God on how to thrive even when the most sinister of circumstances comes at you out of nowhere. How to thrive. And this is a really empowering uh, scripture, so I want to get right into it. I'm going to go straight through the text and do some explanation as we go. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. James is a letter that's written for us. It's a letter that's written for us, and it's written by a man who wanted to humble himself down to a level of being on level playing field with us. James is very much like Jesus. He describes himself as a servant. That's uh, translated from a Greek word called doulos, which means slave. So, James is saying, I am a slave, a servant of God, along with all of you. He's not saying, he's not claiming apostolic authority. He's not saying, I'm the boss, so listen to what I say. He's saying, I am a slave servant of the boss, so listen to what I say. (laughs) 
But he puts us on this level playing field with him right from the beginning. And I love that. Because sometimes you read the Bible and it descri- the author says, the apostle of Christ and all these different kinds of things. James chooses servant. Servant. Servant leader. Uh, one who leads shoulder to shoulder with the people he's uh, re- writing to. Uh, and he writes this letter to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This letter was likely written after uh, the persecution of the church in Acts. And so... When it talks about the 12 tribes, it's not talking about the Jewish 12 tribes of, of uh, Ju- Judah and Israel, which had been scattered for quite some time, if you know biblical history, due to uh, all kinds of, basically, consequences of their behavior. They'd been exiled and, and been conquered by other nations. They were scattered everywhere. What James is talking about is not those 12 tribes in particular. He's talking about, in a figurative way, about the church. He's talking about the church scattered all over the world because the church is now joined to Israel and has become the people of God. And so he's saying, I'm writing to encourage you as a servant, as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm writing to encourage you people who have been scattered by persecution. I have something encouraging to say. Greetings to you. And that's his introduction. That's just right in the beginning of the letter. He goes right into teaching after that, which is, is really... Uh, very fast-paced when you look at introductions in other letters. This is a fast transition right into teaching. And he says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James says that we should consider it pure joy when trials of many kinds assail us. That's a really interesting thing. The word for trials in Greek is pyrosmos. This is a fascinating word that I want to spend some time talking about. So just so you know, I wasn't being cute with the title of my sermon, even though it was adorable. This Greek word pyrosmos is where we get our English word pirate from. So, hey, not so bad, right? Um, Pyrosmos is a pirate. It's an event in life that sneaks up on you, takes you by surprise, and tries to ruin God's plan for your life. It asks you to betray God and fall away. Uh, it could be, as, as with my aunt, being diagnosed with cancer. And by the way, I want to testify that my aunt, my aunt was a really strong believer she worked in a church, in a church office, her, for her whole life as, as the second-hand man of the pastoral staff. And she, uh, she faithfully executed that call for her entire life. The plans of having a good time and stuff in her retirement didn't happen. But she lived a full life. She served God right to the very end. I just want to honor her uh, for a moment. So a pirate can be... Uh, sorry, shouldn't have even put her in the sermon, you know? <laughs> a trial is a pirate. It could be disease. It can be uh, losing a job. It's something that catches you off guard. You don't have to go looking for this kind of thing, this pure osmos. You don't have to go looking for it, saying to God, I'm going to find something really awesome to, t- to show you that my faith is strong and that I'm a real believer. This stuff just happens to you in spades in your life trials, right? There's a lot more that can be said about this word prosmos, and I want to uh, talk about that a little bit. In English, we have a few words that have two meanings. Same word, two opposite meanings. 
Uh, one of my favorite is, uh, that I've looked into is this word sanction. You can either say, I sanction this thing, which means I approve of it, or you can say, I sanction this event, which means I disapprove it, and I'm standing in the way of it. It's a double meaning. Here's an example. I came up with this sentence. You can see the wordplay here. After much thought and deliberation, I realized that I can now sanction the event which I had previously sanctioned. This is a wordplay. And this same phenomenon exists in our passage today with this word parosmos. Parosmos can be translated as either temptation or trial, depending on your Bible translation. I believe that that word choice, that Greek word choice by James, was not an accident. I think he intended there to be a word play in this passage. James meant uh, to say, in a very clever way, that you can either respond to unexpectedly bad events, pirates in your life, as if they are temptations where you fall away from God in sin, or as trials of your faith, which prove that you are the authentic, real deal, that prove your character and grow you into the person that God has destined you to become. You have a tremendous amount of control. The good news of this passage is that you can... Basically, no matter what comes your way, no matter what pirate comes your way, you have control over how to respond to that. That's, a, that's something that God volleys back to you. Okay? Um, when, when something really horrible and unexpected happens, it can either be for you a temptation that pulls you away from God and causes you to sin, or it can be for you a proving ground where you prove that you are an authentic follower of God, and where you grow in certain qualities that God is trying to cultivate in you. Where you grow in certain qualities that God is trying to cultivate in you. And one of the things that God is doing is trying to use temptations and trials to bring you into the destiny that he has planned for you to walk in. And the question I wrote, will the difficulties you encounter be for you temptations to sin or trials which God will use to bring you into the destiny he's planned for you to walk in? Where do I get this idea of destiny? Seems really flowery, seems kind of like I'm stretching things. Uh, The passage once again, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, parasmos, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete which is derived from this Greek word teleos, which I have talked about before, not lacking anything. Mature and complete. Uh, This word teleos in the Greek is the goal towards which God is shaping you. This is a really exciting concept for me. Uh, That's why I've talked about it many times. God has placed in each person unique talents, passions, desires, personality characteristics, which are unlike any other person who's ever been born. Each person is truly a snowflake. You know, no two are alike that we know of. (laughs) I guess it would be hard to really prove that there are no two snowflakes alike. But each person is completely unique. We have similarities, but we have differences. Talents, talents, passions, uh, desires, and temperament, personality. And God has a plan for each person to bring them into the fullness of who he's created them to be in their life. God has a plan for each person to bring them into the fullness that he has planned for them in their life. God longs uh, to bring completeness. That's what this word teleos means. It means end game, the end goal that God has in mind when he thinks of you. God has an end goal in mind, a potential, 
in mind. Some of us, because of how we've responded to the pirates of life, are not even scratching the surface of the teleos God has for us. Because we've responded to trials as temptations, which we kind of just keep on failing at over and over again, we never uh, get into this place where we are mature and complete, not lacking anything, but we kind of just hover in this place of we're living in God's grace, but we're not growing. We're not growing as people. We're not becoming the people that God has destined us to become. In my work with homeless people in Saratoga, uh, I work with the, with the Code Blue Shelter, and a question that I have in my mind as I'm talking to some of these guests who are, who are there overnight, and, and it is a shelter that allows, unlike other homeless shelters, it will allow them to come in. They can be intoxicated or on drugs. It's, it's kind of just a survival mechanism so people won't die during the winter. It's, so it's a really good thing. Um, I look into people's eyes and I, and I ask myself, what is this person's teleos? What is the end that God has for this person that drugs have taken from this person, you know? And I look into the eyes of someone who isn't an addict, <laughs> but has the normal everyday Christian struggles, and, and you wonder, you know, what is this person's end? What, where is God calling them to be? Uh, many times I find that with the, the, my, my primary spiritual gift is the gift of exhortation and encouragement. So many times I feel like I can just see, I talk to someone and I can just see, like God is just doing this in this person. God wants this so bad for this person. If only they would respond to him um, and become uh, the people that he is calling them to be. God wants us to respond to these pirates as if they are trials which we can then take control over, adjust our attitude over, and say, praise God, a trial. God can use this to make me mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's why it says consider it pure joy. That The modifier for joy, that word pure, that's like this goes to 11. Like, yes, you know, like pure joy uh, that this trials come upon me because though I did not plan for it, though it is horrendous, though it could really throw me for a loop, I know that God will use this trial to make me into the person he's called me to be, to make me a, a person of patience and perseverance, and to prove, three Ps, to prove my character as a true, honest disciple of God. You know, it's a really good opportunity. Uh, so this is the response that the, the writer uh, wants us to have when trials come along. Not to fall to temptation like we have so many times, though there is grace for that. So if you're finding that you're stuck in the mire of temptation and falling and all that, there's grace for you, 100%. But take advantage of, of, of your situation and say, you know what, I don't have to be this person that's knocked down like this constantly, dealing with the same stuff constantly. I can be a different person who responds to this pirate as if it's a trial to test, to test my faith, to prove my character, to uh, grow me into the person God's calling me to be. So what about uh, the confusion uh, that's caused when the pirates attack, when our world comes crashing down? It's, it's really asking quite a lot to ask someone who has just lost a loved one who they've relied on for decades uh, to be this amazing responder and, and just, yeah, trial, all right, trial, you know? That's a lot to ask. There's some, there's some things that really throw you for a loop. When I'm counseling people and I talk to them about things they've gone through, Oftentimes, if it's a recent trauma that they're talking to me about, 
um, I, I really encourage them by saying, you need to give yourself some slack. You need to give your, cut yourself some slack. You have been through a trauma, and you don't know which end is up, and that's okay. Do you know that I studied neuropsychology in my undergrad? I sound really smart now. Um, but for, as I was a psychology major, but did you know that the limbic system of your brain swells when you go through a trauma? The limbic system of your brain swells. So like, just like when you hit your thumb with a hammer and it swells up, so your limbic system, which is the emotional portal of your brain, will swell when, people, when you go through a trauma. And so it takes time for the swelling to go down. You know, things that, these pirates can be very traumatic. And people that we love can be, be gone. Jobs that we've relied on can be gone. Our savings can be gone. Our saving accounts can be emptied. Remember 2008 and the market crashed? Uh, we, can, we can lose everything in a moment. That's a very traumatic thing. To address this, I think the scripture goes on and, and, uh, and really speaks to this situation. Not just this situation, this extreme situation, but this, uh, any response to when the pirates come, okay? So this, this is the scripture that works whether it's a very traumatic pirate or whether it's a more everyday pirate, say a, a temptation you struggle with or something like that. The scripture says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So this passage is what we call a strong encouragement mixed with a pretty strong warning as well. And I must confess, this passage has caused me confusion and discouragement in the past because I didn't really understand what it was saying. Does it mean when it talks about God giving generously to all without finding fault, does that mean that if I, that I have to be faultless in order to receive wisdom from God? Is that what this passage is saying? That I need to be faultless when I re- in order to receive wisdom from God. That's something that I've thought in, a, in, a, in, a, in my previous years as I've read this passage, because the way it's worded is confusing. When it says that I must believe and not doubt, does that mean that God is so stingy as to not give wisdom unless I have no doubts when I ask him? Uh, and this kind of reading paints a really bleak picture of the possibility of getting wisdom from God, right? Because we have to be in a certain place in order to receive that wisdom. And even the most steadfast Christian would have a good deal of anxiety and discouragement looking at this passage saying, geez, if I have to you know, um, be faultless, he gives all to all without finding fault, and uh, if I have to not doubt at all, you know, not doubt, not doubt, not doubt, not doubt, while I'm asking him, you know, how the heck am I going to get wisdom from God? This is, is this just some kind of mechanism built into the Bible so that I can always be responsible for not progressing in my faith and, like, God, God washes his hands of me? Well, I told them if they were perfect, I'd talk to them. Um, absolutely not. Does that sound like the rest of the testimony of the Bible to you? It doesn't. It doesn't. So we have to look at this and really see what it's saying. The amazing news, if you've read this passage in this negative way, which is characteristic of people like me, I guess, uh, is that I'm 100% convinced that we've been reading it wrong. Uh, We'll start with this idea uh, at the end of the passage of being double-minded. It talks about being double-minded. This can be translated and is usefully translated as two-hearted. Two-hearted. This is a description given to someone who doubts God when they ask him for wisdom. 
This phrase, two-hearted, is contrasted with the phrase that comes before it, which says that God gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. And this is another wordplay in the scriptures. The word uh, that we get generously from in the Greek means single-heartedly. Interesting. So God gives wisdom to all who ask it of him without finding fault. This phrase, without finding fault, means that God will not find fault in anyone who asks him for wisdom concerning their trials. And that's really good news. Uh, God will not look at your previous track record of failing when you ask him for wisdom on a current trial or temptation. You could have failed at a temptation in your life a thousand times, a million times. And when you ask God for wisdom on how to understand and overcome this trial, God will still give you wisdom for that. He, there is, there is a, not a previous track record of your bad decisions on God's mind, Uh, God will not penalize you for your previous track record of bad behavior when you ask him for wisdom. And this is really good news for most of us. (laughs) This is good news for me. This is good news for any person, any human being, because all of us behave badly at times. All of us mishandle the word of God in our lives. All of us, um, you know, take a, a trial that comes and blow it up into this crazy thing where we then fall away from God for a period of time. We all do this kind of stuff. And the good news is that you can stop your life script that makes you do that and say, look, when this, when this pirate comes into my life, even though I've done this learned behavior thousands and millions of times, God will give me wisdom on how to overcome this thing. That's good news. That's really good news. So, in other words, God is really generous and his giving to us is born out of his character as a single-hearted, non-discriminatory personality. God does not show favoritism to more righteous people. God will give his wisdom to the person who's failed, just like he gives it to the person who has succeeded more often than not. The only condition for receiving this wisdom, as it goes on to say, is, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Again, we have this language that makes it sound like getting wisdom is not going to happen for us because we when we pray we're we're many times feel we feel doubtful that things come into our minds and unless we can kind of like no doubt not doubt not doubt you know really push those things out that can be a very difficult thing however the original language the original meaning of this passage is really talking about behavior interestingly doubt expressed in action which which makes sense because a lot of times James, who's a very Hebrew, clearly he's a, a Jewish person when he writes this letter. He, he writes with a Jewish bent, much like Christ did. These people did not look at the world in a fragmented way. They looked at, uh, they looked at you know, the words you say and the actions you do as a complete whole, right? And so when it says, to be, when you pray and ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt, it's actually implying you must believe and not doubt by not waffling in your behavior in the meantime, This is really good news, too, because you have control over whether you waffle in your behavior. You have control over that. You might not have control over some little doubts that come into your mind as you're praying and asking for wisdom, but you do have control on on your behavior. For instance, if you are asking God to help you overcome sexual temptation in your life, and you're like, God, I need wisdom. This is a trial I've had many times in my life. I'm having a hard time getting over this trial, and and you're praying about it, but then on the side you're dabbling with like, pornography or other sexual sins in your behavior, you are an unstable person. You are an unstable person 
who, cannot, who is blown and tossed by the wind, and you shouldn't re- think you're going to receive wisdom from God. You're still, you're just like wallowing in it. So you can't be two-hearted. You have to be single-hearted. And the reason you need to be single-hearted is because God is a single-hearted giver. You need to be a single-hearted asker. You need to behave in a way that lines up with your request for wisdom. Um, if you are trying to, you know, if you are asking God for wisdom on how to overcome uh, addiction like, like drinking or smoking, you know, if you're asking God for, for wisdom on, on this trial, you're like, I'm really tempted to do this. I have a chemical addiction. You know, God help me. And you're like chain smoking while you're praying. It's like, you, know, you, probably, you probably need to like stop that behavior and like give God some time. Give God some time. Because God does want to give wisdom to you and he will give wisdom to you. But your behavior needs to match your request. It needs to be single-hearted. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be something that... Uh, what if, what, if the, what if it's not as much a, a, a temptation, but like a trial, a normal trial that one might have, like losing a job? Maybe God is the architect of you not being in that job anymore that you were previously at. And maybe there will be lots of really enticing options as to what you can do next with your life. But just because you're fearful and you have anxiety, it doesn't mean you should jump on the first option that presents itself because God is up to something in your life. You're in this circumstance, this pirate has come, you didn't expect it, but God expected it. This pirate has come into your life. We need to ask God for wisdom in those moments. Because God, and, and not make that impulse decision to do whatever, whatever it is that would relieve our anxiety. Because God is a generous giver, and he will give wisdom. He will show you where to go next if you ask him in a, in a single-hearted, behavior-matching-my-request way. God is a single-hearted giver. We need to be single-hearted askers. We, we can't waffle when we're asking for wisdom. If, uh, if we do, then we're, we shouldn't really expect we're going to receive anything. So I think that this is all good news. God gives generously to all without finding fault. He doesn't find fault with anyone for asking, no matter what. No, uh, no allusion to previous track record. And that w- the only condition on receiving that generous gift of wisdom from God concerning our trial is that we be single-hearted when we ask him, that we not waffle in our behavior while we're waiting for him to answer. We need to develop patience We need to develop perseverance in prayer. Patience and perseverance are the two things God is after. And ultimately, God is trying to grow you into the teleos, the goal which he has set for your personality. He wants to make you into something. I mean, what you are and what you will become is a a, a sight that is so amazing that... uh, if people saw, you know, I think C.S. Lewis said, if, if people saw the glorification of humans after we're in heaven and, and all of our sin is washed away and we're face to face with Christ, people would think, is this, you know, what is this? This is, this is, you'd be tempted to worship it. It's such a beautiful thing that God's created in the image of God, uh, the, the fully formed human personality without sin's influence. It's such a beautiful thing that people, people would misunderstand what it even was. Uh, God has this goal in mind for each of us to grow into the fullness of who we are as people and, and to, to throw off, uh, to, to when the pirates come, to weather, those temp- to weather those trials, to say no to those temptations and prove ourselves and grow into the people God's calling us to be. So as we were getting ready to go into our meeting, the thing I really wanted to challenge you guys with this week and really, really, it could be today. I could challenge you this. For t- this is a great sermon to give application to because you will have a pirate today. Congratulations. You're going to think of this sermon today. You'll think of it tomorrow. You'll probably think of it the next day. Maybe in a, a year from now, when something really aw- awful happens to you, you will think of it then, too. This is a great sermon. 
you're going to be tempted today to, to uh, a sin that you are um, very comfortable doing. <laughs> it's actually a very comfortable sin. It kind of, it's, all, it's almost part of your identity at this point. And God is saying, change your script. When the, when the pirate comes and, and calls your name like it, like it always has, look at this as not a temptation, but a trial that proves your, the authenticity of your faith. Many of us doubt that we are real Christians because we've gotten so far into the sin stuff. We're like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, does God love me? Can God forgive me? We're so out of touch with God and how he, how he loves us and how, he, how he, his tender affection for us because we've become so encumbered by, by our, our identity being ripped apart by giving into sin. We say to ourselves, how can I be a Christian if I do this? Well, you don't have to do that. God, you can change your script with God's help. And so when that temptation comes today, I, I challenge you to ask God for wisdom on how to overcome that temptation and not to waffle in your behavior, to grow in patience and perseverance. Because those are the things God's trying to grow in you. And God will give you wisdom on how to overcome that temptation. It says in the Bible that God will not give you a temptation that's bigger than you can handle. That's a very specific command. There is not, there's no temptation that will come into your life that is so strong that you can't change the script on it and flip it. There's no temptation that's stronger, uh, strong enough to do that. So when that trial comes, respond differently. When the tragedy comes, realize, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a car wreck. I'm really traumatized here. But, but seek God for wisdom as soon as possible. In, in that situation especially, uh, with uh, divorce and other, other traumatic events that people go through, even addiction, you know, that people, that's a very traumatic event that happens over a long period of time. Uh, people are really scarred and imprinted by these things. These are the times to get involved in small group community and to ask God for wisdom and then plug into a group of Christians who you can then receive God, specific prayer for. Because if, you if you're asking single-heartedly to God for wisdom, and then you come to a group of people who, lo- who love you, who are the church, who have grace for you, and they're asking God single-heartedly for wisdom for you as well, you can have a pretty, pretty good outcome coming your way. Uh, what even Jerome said about prayer is absolutely true. God, God's not stingy. He's not up there counting coins in a, in a vault like Scrooge or something. God, God like, wants to pour out blessing on his people in the worst kind of way. We're just such wafflers. <laughs> We waffle. We ask, and we, we, we're like, oh, he's not doing anything. It's been like five minutes, and then we waffle in our behavior. And then we're like, oh, he's not giving it to me because I'm such a bad person. And then we stop asking. That's, what we, that's the normal pattern for us human beings. Uh, but this is saying, change the script. Ask for wisdom. Wait for it. God wants to give it generously. He wants your character to be proven. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can stand before God someday and give an account for my life and say, and I, and I can... I can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because I, I encountered him in these moments. He gave me wisdom. I overcame. I was proven as a, as a true disciple of Jesus. So that's my encouragement to you today. Uh, enjoy your pirates. Count them pure joy. You should be effervescent with joy at this point. And go get your kids. We're going to have a congregational meeting. and We're going to talk about the way forward.